Yeah, I'd like to see it. But uh, Nathan Lyons has taken 500 wickets. Tifa Nunes has made 100 episodes. It's a direct comparison, don't you reckon? <laughs> that's, a, that's an average of one episode per five wickets. <laughs> Not a bad strike, right? Great strike, I'd say. Yeah, Not yeah. enough people are talking about that, I don't Not think. Not enough people are talking about it. Look, think about 500 wickets. It's one more than 499. <laughs> listen to that, listen to that. Yeah. Perth Stadium, two beers in. There's about six people here, but... <laughs> <laughs> You'd think there was 60,000. Yeah, the cheering really are. Thoroughly deserved. Yeah, man. Nice ball, too. What Did you, did you think it was yeah. out in the end? Uh, it certainly straightened it. Straightened, yeah. you know. Um, I thought maybe a little high on the knee roll, but... Um, the, uh, we've got the benefit of the DRS, and uh, so we should. Yeah, yeah, I couldn't agree more. Pal, any thoughts on our 100th episode? Do you think we'd get here? No. No, <laughs> no, no one knows. <laughs> I think it's amazing team effort from everyone involved. Mm. Um, it speaks to the high quality of all of our correspondents really more than your life, Pat. I think that's probably true, mate. Um, hang on, he's gone now. Hang on. Ooh. Ooh. Comes forward, defends, sweeps it out to mid wicket. Yeah, look, full credit to the quality of our correspondents, but I think they, they make the show. You and I are just the um, the uh, Bianchi. Oh, the Bianchi, Chris. The Bianchi. You've been making ice cream, mate. I have, I have. I forget the name of it now. <laughs> <laughs> We're the gelato base. The base. We're the yeah, gelato the, base, the, that's right. The Bianchi, anyway. Yeah, I'll think yeah, yeah. of what it is, but... Yeah, no, no. Full credit to everyone. Full credit to you, Pat. Well oh, done. thanks, mate. Thank you. You listen to a lot of crap audio. <laughs> <laughs> you can definitely say that the audio quality of the show has dramatically improved yes. over the years. Like, that has definitely got better. Like an alligator in a Floridian swamp. <laughs> you waited for a lot of crap <laughs> to snap podcast glory, Pat. Well, mate, I, I didn't think we'd get here either, but um, having watched Gary Lyon take... He's 500 wicket. He's bowling again now. Forward defence. Back to Gaz himself. Um, 100 bloody eps up for us. It's just the raise the bat sort of time, Bardo. Raise the bat. Raise the bat. Kiss the helmet. Kiss the helmet. Raise the bat. And big thanks to you two fellas in the studio for taking us through on the 100. Enjoy your lap of honour. Thanks, big fellas. Great work. Hey folks, welcome for Two For None, your favourite cricket comedy podcast. I am your guest host, Alexander Spinks, joined by my dear friend, Ollie Crumpet Crump. Ollie, Hello. welcome to the show again. Thank you very much. I do have a bit of imposter syndrome being here on this particular day, on this yes, particular number. Yes, because as you 
as you heard from uh, Creator Gods, Pat Cullen and Chris Buddy, this is the 100th episode of Two for None. Yoo-hoo! Party sound. Yes, this little idea that Patrick Cullen had to kind of break his podcasting virginity back in 2017 with his dear friend Chris Barty is 100 episodes old. Ollie, it's an incredible. Why are you here on the 100th episode? Yeah, man, I feel like a bit of a fraud. I've got. Why am I here? I've got some Jordan Belfort vibes around me, like right now. You know, I'm just some random dude. Yeah, thank you. I'm just some dude that likes cricket and all of a sudden, you know, I feel like I'm lining up to hit the winning runs at the World Cup and I'm like, I'm not supposed to be here. Are you Grant Elliott? <laughs> are you going to smash it out of the park or are you going to just fumble horrifically like another cricketer that I can't name off the top of my head? <laughs> I'll fumble, but 20 years later when everyone's forgotten about it, I'll tell them that I tonked it. It's going to be one of those things that you you remember late at night about 1am when you're having an existential crisis and you just think about how horrible a job it was. Like, why? I shouldn't have been there. I'm like a turtle on a fence post, mate. Yeah. I shouldn't be up here. That time that time you like peed your pants in kindergarten, you're like, that's where it all went wrong. That's I told where you that in confidence. I told you that in absolute confidence. <laughs> mate, the big 100 of this silly little show. How was your Christmas? How was your New Year's? Let let the audience relate to you a little bit. <laughs> it it was honestly exhausting. Like, <laughs> of course, I have a holiday. I love holidays. Everyone loves holidays. But I've got a split family. My partner's got a big family. We had four different Christmases. On the one day? Yeah. No, 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 of course not. No. But I'm just like... It's exhausting, you know, and you kind of like you don't know what day it is. You're you're picking from the fridge, like there's a roast and pavlova that was maybe made two days ago or two weeks ago. You don't really know like what day it is, knowing that today is a Tuesday. You know? <laughs> 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 I had to check that. I, I definitely did have that. There's a podcast uh, with Daniel Sloss, uh, one of my favourite Scottish comedians, talking about between Christmas and New Year, you can only reference when you're going to see someone like by physically describing the day. You do not say the 28th. You don't say I'll see you on the 30th. You don't say I see you on Wednesday or Friday. You say in two days, I'll see you at the beach. Yeah. If you give me some nebulous description of the day or the number relating to that day, <laughs> I will not be there. No, the dates dates and time really doesn't exist. Father time does take a break from Christmas until New Year's. And then there's this weird sort of four to seven day lull where you don't know what's going on. And then there are rumours that start to kind of creep through. Oh, I'm going back to work. You go, oh, God. Speak for yourself. I'm sitting in my house recording a cricket comedy podcast. And what day is it? Oh, well, I, Tuesday. Tuesday. <laughs> Tuesday. <laughs> Funny little tidbit, some serendipity for this 100th episode, for this auspicious occasion. Our British correspondent, TJ Hawkey, TK Hawkey, rather, sent through on the group chat that from the airing of the very first episode of Two for None, which if anyone would like a bit of a laugh, do go back and listen to it because Pat Cullen sounds like he is talking underwater or like he's hit his mic under his pillow in his bed for him to talk and Chris Barty fades in and out like, I don't know, he's being teleported between different rooms of the house. But the first episode, December 2017, 
it has been 2,222 days. Wow. As of day of recording, January 2nd, 2024, it has been 2,222 days since the very first episode aired, which is the most beautiful Richie Benoit number in the world. <laughs> I said I was going to dust off my Richie Benoit impression to say that number. It's terrible. But I know you, Oliver, have a semi-decent crack oh, at some impressions. Oh, no. So I would like you to say, how many days has it been since Two for None first aired, Ollie? <laughs> You're putting me on the spot here. 2,200. <laughs> no, that's terrible. It's terrible. <laughs> 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 he's, he's got kind of, there's some rounded kind of terror. <laughs> he's not Stitch. No, no. <laughs> I'll, I'll take a pass on that one. Thanks, mate. It's been 2,222. That's, that's all that's I've That's good. It's better, but a little bit cockney, but I'm going to settle on that one. That's mate. fine. Keep it. Since last episode, we have had quite a bunch of cricket. We have had the Australian women's team in India play a test match just before Christmas Day. They had had two ODIs since then, and we've had the test match between the Australian men and the Pakistani men cricket team. Mate, we lost that first test in India, eh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, we did. Like Australia, the unstoppable test match juggernaut of women's cricket, got absolutely clattered well, well, by the well, well hold on team. well not not absolutely clattered like a Are little sure clattered a little clattered sure they not. won by 8 wickets ah like 8 kind of rounded down to 5 oh, what is it oh, doesn't matter <laughs> no it was i'm I, i'm just stressing that it it was only it feel doesn't feel like a clattering because it was just a couple of miss moments you know like we why are you, are you looking uh, at me like that? <laughs> I, I understand a couple of missed moments. Abdullah Shafiq loves a missed moment, and we'll get <laughs> to him later. But we scored 219 in the first dig. They scored 406, a couple of missed moments. Mm-hmm. We scored 261 in reply, and then they only needed 75 to get. Yeah, I'm just... Look, I... I hear you. <laughs> Good, I'm glad someone's but listening. But we, we lost Litchfield and Perry so cheaply straight from the outset, right? Cheap. Phoebe Litchfield lost cheaply. Let's let's talk about that for <laughs> a second there. Because Phoebe Litchfield's wicket was the first diamond duck I have ever seen with my own eyes. Yeah. I have never witnessed someone get a diamond duck. And not even that it was a diamond duck, but it wasn't her fault. No, no, it wasn't. Like, I love Beth Mooney. Just ask me. I'll tell you. Favourite player in the women's game. She's phenomenal. She, first over, took off for a single that wasn't there. Litchfield was a third of the way down the track, stuttering, going, oh, maybe not. No, no, no. Beth Mooney was way too far out of her ground. The ball was going to the keeper's end. And Litchfield, like an absolute champion, and this is definitely what younger players are forced to do if you're playing club cricket, Mm -hmm. is she realised that the senior player had made a mistake. So she bit the bullet, put her head down, crossed Mooney, so she would be the batter that is out at the striker's end for a diamond duck. Yeah. She straight up said, I will die on that hill for you knowing that that hill is way too far away to reach in a reasonable amount of time. <laughs> and then Beth Mooney went on to make a tidy 40. That was mm-hmm. all right. Second mm-hmm. highest scorer for Australia in that innings. But then Beth Mooney in Australia's second innings, in the third innings of the test match. Oh, God. Yeah. 
heard Johnny Bairstow whinging about his wicket during the Ashes earlier this year and went, hold my beer, Johnny. She de- Watch this. <laughs> she defended the ball to point, right? Full ball, defended to point. So that means a fielder has the ball. So no one's under any illusions that the ball is live at this mm-hmm. point. There's no seeking an advantage from Beth Mooney here. She's just wandering out of a crease, having a lovely time, maybe asking for a cup of tea for the tea break, get that prepped for her. And the fielder, gosh, throws the stumps down. Clever <laughs> and and fair. Doing her job yeah. as a fielder. And Peth Moody realises as the ball flies past her that maybe she should ground her bat behind the crease because she's not in it at the moment. No, nowhere near it. She, the difference between her and Ber- Bairstow is she knew her mistake. Oh, immediately. <laughs> when that ball is like cannoning towards the wicket, she went, oh, hang on a second. Something doesn't feel right. I, sh- I should be behind that crease, shouldn't I? Yeah, yeah I should. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like she hung her head in shame and trotted off. It was, ah, oh, it was so disappointing. Mm. The positive to come out of the test for us is Talia McGrath. Talia McGrath, who is a handy bowler, but is, unlike her male namesake, can bat a bit. Yeah. She top-scored for us in the first innings with a 50, and then she top-scored for us in the second innings with a 73. They bumped her up the order to first drop because Alyssa Healy's not scoring many runs. She did... Oh, was she first drop? Or have I just completely made that up? She was still fourth. They didn't move her around the order at all. (laughs) She top-scored with 73, and so she's the only reason why we had any, any chance of maybe drawing that test match. And then she's carried that form into the ODIs where she, in the first ODI, she's smashing the runs around for us. She's the reason why we're winning some of these ones. That first ODI was the second highest run chase in women's ODI cricket ever. Mm, that, Love it. That, it, was, it was amazing. We, I mean, pulled, pulled, got away with murder, pulled the cat out of the bag for sure. You know, that was incredible. And uh, the likes of Tali McGrath, Phoebe Litchfield, Elise Perry, like, my God, they can Alyssa Perry's found some form, hasn't yeah. she? Alyssa Healy a- out for a three-ball duck. That doesn't start the innings well. But then we didn't lose our next wicket until we had 160 runs on the board. Yeah, and but just super surprising. In the ODIs, I thought, I know last week I said I was on the fence just because I don't you sure you like, weren't supporting India? Don't like to, no, no. Just because I don't like to take a, a position either way, leave my options open until the very last minute. But they've played incredibly in the ODIs, like incredibly. And it'd be very interesting to see whether we can get a clean sweep for the third. Hopefully, because, mm. you know, this is, this is shall we say, off-season cricket in the subcontinent. This is, the pitches in India have been used since May. Since the yeah. Australian test team was there earlier in the year, they have been batting and using those pitches through that tour, through the Indian home summer, through the men's ODI World Cup, and now they've got the women playing there on pitches that resemble the dirt around Alice Springs. <laughs> like, the pitch for the second ODI had this strip of green in the middle, probably mm-hmm. taking up about half the actual length of the pitch. Dead centre. No one's using that part of the pitch. <laughs> Either end, it 
is red dirt. The yeah. practice pitch, one pitch over to the side, beautifully oh, green. Pristine. They've had the roller on it. I forgot to mention <laughs> they've played IPL on these uh, bloody wickets all year. It's like, give the pitch a break and put women's cricket on at an appropriate time. Please. Yeah, yeah forget the copy and paste job and put it three metres to the left. It would be highly appreciated by everybody. At the very least, give them an actual pitch to bat on. But then again, it is the BCCI. They can use whatever pitch they want, even if the ICC says they shouldn't. Yes. They'll go ahead. Yes. <laughs> um, but no, brilliant brilliant matches overall. The, the Indian women in the test bowled in that first innings freaking amazingly. So, so tight. They conceded two extras in the entire innings. One no ball and one leg by. And... And coming back to what I said about a couple of moments, we actually had them in a similar position. But in the eighth wicket partnership, Vastrakar and Sharma put on 122 for the eighth. Sharma. And She's the one that you pointed out previous episode as someone who can bowl the house down, can actually bat higher than her position in the order, smashes yeah. a 78 office. Yeah. But look, yeah, you're right. I mean, a lead of 180-odd after the first innings, no one's no one's coming back from that. Definitely not. But, you know, we've got the ODIs. We've got another ODI which starts tonight. As of time of recording, it will be over by the time this episode's released. And then we've got three T20s also probably just played on red dirt that's got a rope around it, and they will call it a cricket pitch. Yes, eloquent as always. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Mate, so that's the women's test wrapped up. Let us talk about the men's test, the Boxing Day test. Ah, yes. This great Australian tradition. I genuinely, with all the horrible weather forecasts that we have, like Queensland's underwater, there's flooding all through the Gold Coast throughout Queensland, there's flash flooding in Sydney across Christmas. I was up in the Hunter Valley and I saw one of the gnarliest hailstorms that I have ever seen in my ancestral home on Boxing Day. With yeah, all you, of that forecast, you, I thought sorry, Melbourne... Just as a side note, you sent, you sent me a photo of these like golf ball sized hail thing and went, hey, it's snowing. It is snowing. <laughs> It's it's Australian snow is snow compressed to the size of golf balls as hard as a rock pegged at your head from a vengeful god. It's a brutal country, isn't it? I like when it started hailing. My my car was out the front of my in laws' place, and they've got a carport out the back. And so as soon as the hail hits, I'm grabbing the keys, telling my father in law to open the side gate. I'm in the car, drive it around the block up into the carport. The noise on the shed out the back was just. An absolute cacophony. Mm. And I just didn't want to stand there in a shed with my father-in-law not being able to hear each other talk for about 20 minutes. So I made the mad dash, the 30 metres between the carport and the back door of their house. I I thought you were about to say, instead of going into the carport, you just drove home. Oh, yeah. It's like, you know what? I don't have time for this. I'm going to drive back to Sydney where at least it's only rain. I did the mad dash from the carport to the back of the house. You know, futilely covering my head with a bit of plywood so I didn't get nagged. And the hail's bouncing off my fingers, my neck, my back, my and my crack. I just have welts all over my body. And then I sit down and turn on the TV and I get to watch some cricket. So I actually had a pretty good day. Yeah. But I thought Melbourne was going to be underwater. I so thought there's I. no way we're getting five days out of this test match. It ended up being correct. We didn't get five days because, once again, we rolled them in four. Yeah. 
Look, I, I may or may not have said last week that I, I wanted Pakistan to make it interesting and to, to roll us for 70. <sighs> Certainly looking like that, didn't it? Looked very likely. Like, I'm sure we all remember the test match in Cape Town, South Africa, not that one, where we rolled South Africa for 96 and we were all feeling pretty good about ourselves. Mm-hmm. This is early into Michael Clark's tenure as captain. Ricky Ponting still on the squad, scoring no runs. Clark's got 150 in the first innings. This is great. South Africa, they go into bat. Shane Watson gets a five for Ryan Harris gets four. They're all out for 96. And then we respond with an even more amazing 47 all out. Yeah. South South Africa chases down 230-odd in the fourth innings for the loss of two wickets. Yeah. Australia loves a collapse. We do. Oh, not on our side. I love watching collapses. Oh, this was not some, uh, like, a (laughs) masochistic view of cricket that I like watching Australia do horribly. The Australian cricket team just loves to drag a collapse out of nowhere, cruising along. Oh, yeah. Beautiful lead to the to the test match. And we're just like, to, I don't know, maybe lose all our wickets for 70 runs. Yeah, make it interesting. Have a bit of fun. If Abdullah Shafiq could catch, it would have happened. God, they were terrible. They're so terrible at fielding. God. But look, I mean, overall, a, a lot more interesting for sure, but a lot better overall from... Pakistan, and surprisingly, a pretty close match overall. That period after Travis Head had got out, beautifully bowled through oh, the page. Amazing. Absolute Jaffa. That period where it was Smith and Marsh. Marsh, very nervous starter. If the ball's <laughs> doing anything, he finds it very hard to find his feet. My brother's texting me all through. It was like, he's going to flash it a wide one and he's going to get caught and slips and this it's all going to be over. Don't worry, they'll drop him. That's what I should have said. But at the time I went, yeah, no, this looks bad. Because at that moment, that was the most up energetically in the field that I have think I've ever seen a Pakistani yeah. cricket team in a test match. That they were prowling. Jamal's firing in, not thunderbolts, but good balls. Shahin Shah Freddy's firing in good balls. They're keeping Smith and Marsh incredibly quiet. The boys are all up. They're chatting throwing out, oh, he won't be out here long skip, da-da-da. Actually really, really into the game. Beautiful ball across Mitchell Marsh, edges it to second slip. Abdullah Shafiq drops him (laughs) cold. Yeah. Absolutely cold. And you can just see all the energy, all the breath that they were carrying empty, get sucked out into the Melbourne sky. Pop that balloon. But they were, you're right, Alex, they were a different team. They were sharp. The ball was moving. Hamza and Afridi were unstoppable. You're right. The ball that bowled Travis Head was an absolute beauty. It was picture perfect. And then Marsh, oh, God, I'm gutted for him, though. 96 after he's made 90 in the first. As the great man said, (sighs) he is just carrying on a family tradition. (laughs) He, his older brother Sean, and his father Jeff, all have 90s in the Boxing Day test. (laughs) Yeah. Like, 
If that's not a family tradition that you want to get a part of, like, you wouldn't want Mitchell Marsh to get 100 in the Boxing Day test. You wouldn't want <laughs> to be able to lord over the rest of his family that he crossed into those three figures. You <laughs> yeah. want him to sit exactly where the other two are and the three of them can have a cry about it next Boxing Day test. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> Similar, living within the truth of the Marsh name. Exactly. Not meteorology. <laughs> Above average, overachievers, didn't quite make it to the very end. Yeah, they they cut um seven, seven the uh the the lovers of of drama and tragedy. They uh they cut to the family <laughs> as, he, as soon as it was cutting back and forth. As soon as he got caught on ninety six, they went back to the the family box and they were gutted. Although Sean looked to be grinning a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> well, a typical older brother, isn't he? Like, uh, you you would know this. I, I know this with younger siblings is any any opportunity to be able to laugh at the misfortune yeah. that is not life-threatening or maybe even life-threatening of one of our younger siblings. You will take that that chance, surely. Oh, a thousand percent. It used to be, I used to be able to get away with the I'm bigger than you, so, you know, watch it. <laughs> <laughs> But you're right. If you can, um, if you can get a little jab in there or remind them of your uh, age, wisdom, and dominance, it's. Uh, when do you think was the last time Sean Marsh was able to say to Mitch Marsh, "I'm, I'm bigger, bigger than, than you, you, so deal with so it"? So deal with it. <laughs> yeah, Maybe well, when he was fourteen. Probably a while ago. <laughs> Early Sean Marsh puberty. Mitchell Marsh is. Oh, Mitchell Marsh probably hit puberty at eight. Let's be honest. Yeah. Probably had a massive growth. But had a beard at the age of nine. Yeah, he was one of those kids in like in in year nine and year ten that just had like a full mustache, <laughs> buying got- cigarettes for everyone. In yeah. the back. <laughs> By full mustache, I remember the full mustache from a kid that I went to private school with, and it was like twelve hairs on his upper lip. But that was that was a full mustache. Yeah, he would have been so cool for those for that six months. <laughs> so cool. <laughs> Mate, talking about this test match, I think it is time to get our Australian correspondent in. It is normally me. Last few episodes, it has been Patrick Cullen. But this time, we are graced with the presence of the new dad himself, Chris Barty. So, for those of you who are joining us on episode 100, welcome to the party. For the... You don't know how this goes. The Barty party. The Barty (laughs) Sorry. I'm so annoyed that I didn't think of that. I... I'm so angry with myself. You, you can have that one on me. All right, I'll just uh, edit that out. So, I swear uh, let to me, God, let me start I swear intro. to God, if I hear this back and you've altered this and you're the one that says party, party. So um, <clears throat> let's just let's just settle down. Let's uh, redo that intro. Um, <laughs> Ollie, shut up. I'm, I'm talking. For those of you who are joining us on episode 100 of Two for None, thank you for joining the Body party. So <laughs> we get tapes from correspondents. I haven't listened to these before. My co-host Ollie hasn't listened to it before. They talk a bit about the cricket. We stop every now and then if we want to make jokes. But other than that, it's just a little bit of fun about cricket. So joining us, hosting this body party, copyright Alexander Spinks, <laughs> January you, yeah. 2nd, 2024, <laughs> is Chris Barty. G'day, gents and g'day, listeners. This tape comes to you from the Cyberdome which is where all things that have been annihilated by AI go out to live out their endless, endless days, just counting binary code. But the good thing is while we do that, the cricket's on. So a couple of thoughts for you about things that have transpired over the last week. Now, I do need to start this with a confession because when the game was getting uh, a little bit hot 
in Pakistan's second innings, and they're about five down, a little bit more than 100 runs to go. I looked at uh, the uh, match situation, some things up, and thought, look, you beauty, fantastic. This will go into a fifth day, and I'll be able to settle in, enjoy the morning, and uh, hopefully watch a thrilling end to a test match. Completely misreading the conditions and not counting on the brilliance of Patrick Cummins, I decided that that would be a good time to go and watch Aquaman 2 at my local cinema. (laughs) Hold up, hold up, hold up. How could you possibly discount the brilliance of Pat Cummins? I know he only took three wickets in the first test. I know it was a little quiet for the man. He was too busy marshalling his troops expertly. But how could you possibly think on the afternoon of the day of day four of the Melbourne Test match that Pat Cummins isn't going to pull something out of the bag, so I'm going to go watch Jason Momoa for two and a half hours? <laughs> He's a fool. He's an absolute fool. Like, mate, this is your job. I know you don't earn any money from it, but this is your job. I mean, Paddy's- Watch bloody- the cricket. Yeah. I mean, you should expect him to pull something out of the bag. Paddy's a bloody god, isn't he? It was five down at that stage. It was Rizwan and Salman. That's all they had. Cometh the oh, hour, Cummins the man. I just thought of that. Is that has that been used? TM. You came up with that. Copyright you, TM. Lock you it came in. up with that yourself. Why is it a commonly used one? <laughs> like any time he does something the good. Damn it! I was wondering where I heard it before. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I'm pretty sure I can hear Ian Smith say it multiple times throughout the World Cup, multiple times throughout the Ashes, multiple times during this last test alone on commentary. But you've just gone to sleep and went, that's a good one. I'm going to use that. Yeah. I'll be honest. I tuned out for a, for a couple of seconds in the middle there. <laughs> right, let's go back to Chris. And let's just say that was a mistake because the end of the test match was utterly thrilling. I ended up following along on the uh, Crick Info commentary and Aquaman 2 is, well, it's crap. It's not good. It's not good. I generally try not to I'd be too critical of those in the arts, but if you can avoid Aquaman 2, I would definitely suggest not wasting the precious minutes of your life that it will cost you because it's, it's, it's poor. That being said, a couple of things that stood out for me from the Boxing Day test. Uh, well, the first one is that the real villain in test cricket at the moment is gloves. Yeah, you heard me. It's those lovely hand coverings. Gloves have proven themselves the villain on two occasions so far in this match. One is the fact that the the endless amount of time that they waste being being changed. You know, if you only have to listen to ABC Radio for five minutes to hear Stuart Clark or Jim Maxwell wax lyrical about the amount of time being wasted for batsmen changing gloves because they become too sweaty or it's a safety issue um, and it's uh, holding up the over rate which is apparently uh, the greatest threat to test cricket at the moment. And then finally, we had uh, when Mohamed Rizwan caught one on the wristband. And is the wristband part of the glove? Is it not part of the glove? Is wristband slowly eating the entire arm so that it, become, it can become relevant to the game? Is it not getting enough attention every time that it is changed? I don't know. Uh, but certainly gloves have proven themselves to be the real villain and uh, threat to the game. And they must be removed, uh, perhaps replaced with some sort of rubber or latex sort of situation there. Not sure. Yeah. Hold up there, Chris. That Rizwan dismissal was one of the greatest bits of acting I have ever seen on a <laughs> cricket pitch. 
like I've watched the wicket back time and time again because by the end of it, Rizwan did not want to go. Mohammed Rizwan, he was that he was, was no, filthy. That was clear. <laughs> it was definitely clear, but he set it up immediately. So Cummins bowls the ball, kind of chops through above hip height. Rizwan can't get his hands out of the way. Bounces off the shall I say, quite large wristband. Yeah. Like, that wristband is a good third of the way up his arm. Yeah. Bounces off, goes through to Kerry. Kerry goes up, not given not out. Cummins isn't sure. He says to his teammates, it had to have hit something because it bounced, it deviated, and there was a noise. So he reluctantly goes for the review, clearly bounced off the wristband. But as soon as that ball bounces off Mohammed Rizwan's wrist, he... Drops the hands, Kerry catches it, and Rizwan immediately points to this white spot of what I'm assuming is a sun cream or something. There's a perfect circle of white on his upper forearm, closer to the elbow, and he starts pointing at that immediately. He knows it's bounced off his glove. He knows it's come off his wristband. <laughs> but he is immediately talk- pointing at this sore spot, and that convinces the umpire. Like, the umpire gives it not out. Yeah. And so he's he's happy. He's he's a little bit of acting work. They go for the review. As soon as you see that it's hit the wristband, the Australian players go up. Rizwan's dropped his bat. He's dropped his helmet. His gloves are off. He's shaking his head. He's walking over to the umpire, pointing at the white spot. That white spot has been there since he came onto the field. That that's not a new addition. That's not a mark. That's not something that happened in a drinks break, just a little bit of sorbeline cream on a little bit of a rough patch on your skin. No. He had that when he came out onto the <laughs> yeah. field, and now he's pointing at it to the umpire going, see, that's where it hit. Yeah, when I get hit by a cricket ball, I get a little white circle on my arm. As if as if the ball was covered in zinc or chalk or something. <laughs> yeah, they've just rubbed it over Mike Hussey's face <laughs> before he's bowled the ball, and it's left this perfect <laughs> indent on his arm. Mate, it was perfect acting. It, I loved it so much. I know Chris Buddy doesn't like to talk bad about people in the arts, which is good because half of this podcast is people who are in the <laughs> arts. But we would all be very proud of that kind of performance. He he almost got away with it as well. He was so close. And Cummins, Cummins almost didn't review. He kind of went, oh, I think so, and just sort of semi-shrugged the shoulders and hesitantly just made the tea. It really was just the most flop-handed team <laughs> that he gives to the umpire. Like, well, we've got to get him out somehow. They've yeah. only got 100 runs to get. Like, yeah. this is getting scary. Oh, I do feel bad for uh, for Rizwan. That was, I mean, that was that wicket really was the game. And he knew it, it was, was the game, you know. The, it's, it's passion, frustration, a fruitless attempt at a little bit of uh, creativity. But <laughs> he's just hoping that, that he kind of, that Pat... Rizwan and the umpire just kind of go, oh, all right, we'll do a do-over, you know, let's don't worry about checking the TV. Absolutely. I think I think him pointing to that spot is is what got into Cummins' mind because it convinced the umpire. And so yeah. he he was standing real close to the little congregation of senior players mm-hmm. who uh included in the review discussion. And he's he's just pointing at the spot, guys, it, it hit this point on my arm. See, I got this I got this spot on my arm. And so very nearly worked. Do you it think it would perfect. do you think it'd be better if he's gone up to them and he's just gone, review it. You should review it. I've always wondered. Because I've thought about the psychology about this. Like when exactly. you don't think you're out and you'd say to someone, oh, I'm genuinely not sure you should use a review, being like, waste it. Waste That's a it. real tough guy move. I can't think of a batter that has that kind of edge to them anymore. <laughs> like if Alan Border was playing today yeah. 
he would do that every chance he got. <laughs> yeah. Like he, if he has like clipped that ball straight to the keeper, big loud noise. He would point at the top of his shin pads and say, "It's come off there." I dare you. Reveal it. Do it. Get me out. Waste your review. <laughs> and I think it'd work. Yeah, I think it would. You know? I think it would work. And then and then you kind of keep up that act for a little while. People aren't able to read you. And that one time that you do really edge it, you can look at them and be like, it was miles away. People are like, oh, maybe it was. <laughs> I think I'm starting to believe him. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, let's go back to Chris. The other thing that I think that uh, stood out for me was the performance of, of Sharma Mood as captain. This is a guy that's been in and out of the side um, multiple times over his journey, and uh, he really stood up. He showed what a good captain he is, scoring 50 in each innings. And finally, we have Mitch Marsh, you know, a personal favourite of mine. I think it's fair to say I've been a, I, I bought Mitch Marsh stocks when they're they, when they at their lowest. I've held them for a long time, and now that they are peaking, uh, if I was a New York stockbroker, I'd be getting ready to sell and making a significant profit, uh, but I won't. I'll continue to hold because uh, he is my man making 96, a very, very important 96, as it turns out, a match-winning 96 to join his brother, uh, Sean, and his father, Jeff, in making uh, 90s at the MCG. What I think was really interesting, though, was the second innings was also a tale of collapses. Australia in their first innings lost four for 16, putting themselves well and truly on the back foot and putting Pakistan in a position to potentially uh, steal the game, uh, only for Pakistan to say, hold my sparkling water, and they then proceed to lose five for 18 uh, towards the back end of their second innings when Captain Cummins saved the day once again. So will we see another collapse in Sydney? Who will be the king of the collapses? Will that be the determining factor? I'm not really sure, but I am looking forward to finding out because we have seen this Pakistan team grow uh, and develop over the course of the series. And at times, I have to confess, I found myself barracking for Pakistan and really just barracking for a good game of cricket because we were relatively pessimistic leading into the test match summer. And if I'm honest, I'm a little bit pessimistic about what the West Indies are going to bring. So this could be the last thrilling game of Red Bull cricket for the summer. So let's hope for something good. Uh, thank you for that, Chris. I know he's got a little bit more to come, but it's not related directly to the test match. So we will have to leave our variety hour to a little bit later. <laughs> I think, Crumpet, that it is a little unfair to say that Pakistan collapsed for five for 18 compared to Australia's collapse of four for 16, when the four Australian batters that were out in that four for 16 are Usman Khawaja, David Warner, Manus Labashain and Travis Head. For a, Those four batters scored 10 runs between them, two of Ooh. them out for ducks, Travis out for a golden duck, Uzi off his second ball. Whereas the Pakistan collapse was their last five batters. It was Rizwan, who'd already scored 35, Agar Salman, who'd scored 50, and then it's Jamal playing his second ever test match for a duck, Shane Shahafridi for a duck, and Mir Hamza for a duck. Those are your bowlers. You expect them to sometimes get out for less than 20 runs. Yeah, I mean, that's, you, not, that's not a collapse, right? That's, that's Australia cleaning up the tail. That's the tail. Yeah. That's, that's what that is. Whereas the Australian players, that is the best batter in world cricket in the last two years, Usman Khawaja, the retiring a little bit too late, 
Ball, <laughs> David Warner. Travis Head has come off a bumper tour yeah. with the World Cup good scores in the Ashes and in India, scoring that century that helped win Australia the World Test Championship. And Manus Labashain, who has not been in great touch this year, but is still one of the top 10 batters in the world. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, yes, you're right. He, he has struggled a little bit as of late, but that is, that's a proper collapse. You know, even their first innings scores, I think at four wickets down, they were 200 odd. To be four for 16, it's a proper collapse. All right, Crump, I think it is time that we heard from our Pakistan correspondent, Adam Hassan. He has sent us through a tape wrapping up what I'm sure would have hurt him a lot because he sent a message to me immediately after the test match finished. He's in England and he said, that hurts. I stayed up till 7am England time to watch that. And... I feel for the man so bad. When Hawkey messages that through, I'm elated. I'm having such a great time. I'm so glad that he got no sleep and he's got two young children at home and he had to watch his team suck that badly. But when Adam does it, I feel bad for the man. Poor man. Poor man. Let's, let's listen to what he has to say. Wow. A hundred episodes of Two For None. Who would have thunk it? Pat, Chris, what an effort. What a thing you guys have created here. Some serious commitment for quite a few years now. Amazing stuff, and what a pleasure it's been to be a part of it. I joined the pod back in episode 37, four years ago, during the 2019 ODI World Cup. We've just had the 2023 ODI World Cup, so essentially I've been here for a World Cup cycle, and it's been a great ride, recording from five different countries across three different continents, in England, Germany, Barbados, Jordan, and their homeland Pakistan, being able to report on some great Pakistan moments as well as some, well, typically Pakistan moments. Working with Pat, Chris, and the rest of the team, it's been great fun. And what a game to be able to report on for this 100th episode. Pakistan v Australia at the MCG, Boxing Day Test Match. This was a cracker. Pakistan played so well, and yet it always felt like we were slightly behind in the game. Fighting, battling, hanging in there, trying to catch up but always just one step behind. And you know, when you get a close test match like this, a four-day thriller that ebbs and flows and eventually doesn't fall your way, you always end up talking about moments. Where did we lose this test match? The first key moment was in the third over of the game. Australia none for six, Shaheen bowling to Warner, takes the outside edge, and he's dropped a first slip by Abdullah Shafiq. That wicket would have brought Labashain out of the crease a lot earlier with the new ball moving around and the opportunity for more early wickets. Instead, Warner and Kawaja batted up to lunch, before Warner was out with Australia on 90, allowing Labashain and Smith to come out later on in more favourable batting conditions. Pakistan bowled well after that, especially on day two, where we held on to some tough catches to take the last six wickets for 68 runs and keep Australia to 318 all out. 50s for Shafiq and Shah Massoud, as well as some lower order fight, helped us to 264 all out, 54 behind Australia. Third innings then, Australia back into bat. Shaheen to Kawaja. Second ball, nicks it, call behind, Kawaja gone for a duck. Two overs later, last ball before lunch, Shaheen to Labashain, another one caught behind, Australia two for six. Coming back after lunch, Mir Hamza to Warner, dragged on, 
Warner gone. FIFA 16. Chavez head, in the form of his life, facing Mir Hamza, a man with an incredible record in first-class cricket, finally getting his chance on the big stage. First ball to head, expecting the away swinger, but Mir Hamza goes the other way and gets it to swing in big time. An absolute beauty, such intelligent bowling with perfect execution. Head didn't see it coming, takes out middle stump. Mir Hamza charges off, Pakistan going wild, fans loving it. Australia 4 for 16 at the MCG. Iconic scenes. Right here, things were looking beautiful for Pakistan fans. It was an immense spell of bowling from the openers. Kawaja, Labashain, Warner, Head. All gone by the sixth over. It was insane, absolute madness. Pakistan kept working. Smith and Marsh trying to stick it out. They got to 4 for 46, before potentially the biggest moment in the game. Amin Jamal. Bowling to Mitch Marsh. Edge goes to slip. Abdullah Shafiq drops another one. Australia could have been 5 for 46. Instead, Marsh and Smith put on an 151 partnership and helped Australia to a total of 262. Mir Hamza and Shaheen both taking excellent forfeits. So 317 to win for Pakistan. Big crowd in. Jahangir Khan, the squash legend I talked about last time. Even he's there in Melbourne to watch this great finale. Another good start. Another 50 for Shah Masood. But as I said, we always felt just behind where we needed to be to win this test match. 2 for 110, but then Masood goes. 3 for 146, but then Baba goes. 4 for 162, over halfway, but then Solchakil goes. Then a great partnership between Rizwan and Salman Aliaga, who scored an excellent 50. The two of them got us to within 100 runs of the target, five down, before the wicket of Rizwan. From there the lower order collapsed, and we finished 79 runs short. After we looked so in the game for so much of the game, we couldn't quite get over the line. So where did we lose this game? Well, 52 extras in the first innings didn't help, and those two drop catches at slip were very costly. But other than that, Pakistan played really well. We bowled excellently throughout the test, and our batters showed a great deal of fight and determination. Technically, they looked solid, and they put together some really courageous partnership. We couldn't have done much more, and yet we still fell 79 runs short. Watching that fourth innings, I mean, there weren't really any poor dismissals. No one really got themselves out playing a silly shot. But it just felt like, as well as we batted, Cummins and Hazelwood in particular were just so relentless, so skillful, so difficult to play, that no matter how much our batters got themselves in, a wicket never seemed far away. Hazelwood only took one wicket in the end, but it was the biggest one, Barbarazm with that peach of a delivery. That was a really high quality test match, both teams going toe to toe, culminating in an incredible bowling attack going up against a skillful, fighting batting lineup. It was an amazing spectacle to watch. Unfortunately, we couldn't quite get over the line. But there is so much to be proud of from that Pakistan performance. And let's hope for something similar in Sydney. Who knows which Pakistan is going to show up. But if it's anything like this week, we're in for a treat. Oh, thank you for that, Adam. Ollie, as always, Adam Hassan makes some very good points. Josh Hazelwood, he took two for the match, one in each innings. 
But no wicket was more important than that of Babara's arm in the fourth dig with an absolute beauty that nips back in through the gate, takes out his off stump. Yeah. He, he bowled incredibly well without luck. He, he racked up quite a few overs. He was on the money, really economical. But you're right, that all-important wicket and, and, you know, he, that's the one that he got and that's the one that we needed. It is. And like Mitchell Stark was quiet. He took none in the first innings and then he ended up taking four in the fourth innings against Pakistan. Nathan Lyon went wicketless in the last innings, but I forgot to mention earlier, Mitchell Stark took two wickets with the last two balls of the match. Mm-hmm. That means Mitchell Stark's first ball that he bowled. Oh, you're Sydney, right. He is on a hat. You're right. That is a hat trick ball. I think think, I may be wrong here, but I think Merv Hughes maybe has a hat trick over a couple of test matches for a very similar thing. Yeah, wasn't it? Was it Jack Hobbs did it over three test matches? Oh, it was. Merv Hughes took it over three separate overs. Yeah. So he took a wicket with the last ball of a match. Yeah. And then the next wicket he took was the last ball of an innings. And then the next wicket he took was his very next ball in the next inning. So it was over two test matches against the West Indies. And it was, he bowled one ball to end the match, one ball to end an innings, one ball to start an innings. Brilliant. There we go. I am quite proud of myself. I pulled, <laughs> pulled that one. Where was that in your cricket quiz? <laughs> Is Are the Pakistanis going to uh, bat and it's going to be the first ball of test? That'd be something. It would be something. I would really like to be there for it. But unfortunately, I have to be in Perth for a wedding. Shame. Got your dates wrong, mate. I'm going to be on the plane. <laughs> Ooh. Oh. Tomorrow, when this text match starts. Damn. It is brutal. Well, I, I will be there. Not on day one, but on day three. Well, good for you. Just to rub a little bit of salt in that Really wound. hope you have a great time. You better wear pink. It is Jane McGrath Of course I will. All. Of course. If, um, if the rain manages to hold off, I think it will be a pretty rain-affected... Sydney always is. That's I looked at the forecast for this week as well. Like It, it happened last time yeah. with South Africa here. It happened the year before with... The Ashes, it happens every goddamn year. They keep the Sydney test as the New Year's test because we want the New Year's test because most sure. people haven't gone back to work yet. Mm-hmm. We want it here. And it's, it's rained out every single year. Well, it's, the most, remember, it's the most rain-affected cricket ground in the world, isn't it? Yeah, more than Old Trafford. Yeah. <laughs> More than Headingley. Like, yeah. are you kidding me? The north of England gets less rain on their test matches than sunny Sydney. Yeah, it's the scorching coast of Australia. Oh, Who it's would have horrendous. It? Move the test match. Early December, great. Later January, great. I understand that it is generally, hasn't been so much over the last few years with COVID and World Cups and yeah. whatnot, but it's generally the last test match. There's generally a dead rubber by the yeah. time we get to Sydney. Yeah. So make it earlier. Give the rubbish one to Melbourne. It's a rubbish cricket pitch anyway. Yeah, well, it's inconvenient for me because I'm often down in Melbourne, so. Oh, yeah, sorry. I hadn't thought about that. I hadn't thought about that. I didn't take that into account. I'm so sorry. Great. So, 
That is our test match. What else have we got? Oh, Steve Smith scoring the slowest 50 I have ever seen a human being score, where <laughs> in the 35 minutes leading up to the lunch break, zero, uh, Steve Smith scored zero runs. Zero, zero yeah. runs. Gets his 50, last over before lunch, fends off a short ball, gets caught. It was, it was painful to watch. <laughs> I like. I understand the tempo that he was taking. Mitchell Marsh was doing the job at the other end. Steve Smith just needed to stay in, and he was staying in. It wasn't chancy. He was. It wasn't flighty. It was just slow. But then he got out. He yeah, he did, and it was a slow, slow innings. It His was, strike rate was twenty eight. He faced a hundred and seventy balls. God, I mean, look. Alex, if we're talking about if we're talking about slow innings, there there is one person that would probably rival Steve Smith. You ever heard of Alec Bannerman? I have not. Well, Alex, does he Alec, have some connection to today? Alec, Alec Bannerman, you <laughs> guessed it, baby, on this day. <laughs> <laughs> In, in oh, 1879, I feel like we're just going back and back and back with these things. In so you're going to tell me there was like some cricketer from the Roman Empire <laughs> yes. who was born on January 3rd, 52 BC. <laughs> yeah, the very first Englishman playing cricket in a field of sheep with a woolen ball. <laughs> Didn't score a run for 12 days. <laughs> That's when test matches had no end day. <laughs> the only reason being he couldn't run between the paddocks. But no, Alec Bannerman on this day, 1879, made his debut. De- debut or debut? What do you say? Oh, I'm a debut. 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 Yeah. I'd actually say debutante. 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 <laughs> debutante or debutante? Debutante. What are we going with? Debutante. <laughs> No, it's one of the. It's one of those. I'm sure there's plenty of examples in the English language where you can kind of say it one way or the other. It's like, what's the other one that I get um, caught up on? Pronunciation. Oh, are you a pronunciation yeah, kind of person? It's fits, oh, you're dude. scum of the it earth. Fits, you're scum it of the fits. earth. And it's like, that, can't, why are we nitpicking here? You know, why does everyone care <laughs> so much? Because there's no second O in it. That's why we're nitpicking. Oh, if you say aluminum, I'm going to bury your butt. <laughs> no, I won't. I won't go that far. But, mate, look, in, in 1879, honestly, this week actually takes the cake for some of the Deb Utahns on this day. You know, and I know you say, oh, it's painful to listen to, you know, which is obviously not something you want to hear when you're putting together a podcast. <laughs> but hopefully, hopefully you can get a giggle out of some of these names. Now, firstly, the names that you would recognise, Johan Bota. South African spinner, uh, Muhammad Asif, Pakistani quick, your man, Shane Watson, Dwayne Smith, West Indian Mostly short form powerhouse. And now for a few names that mightn't be as familiar. You ever heard of Bunny Lucas? Uh yeah, no, he 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 works at Bunning just up the road. Yeah. No, Bunny. Oh, Bunny yeah. Lucas. No, uh, Bunnings Lucas is a great guy. Um, Lord Harris, Reverend Vern Royal, uh Tip. Tip What's Snook. A name? <laughs> yeah, Tip Snook. This one this one's my favorite. He was Mon- in the wrong sport. Monkey Hornby. <laughs> Monkey Hornby, I didn't look into too much. I think he was a leg spinner, actually. And in the first innings, he bowled seven overs, took one wicket, conceded zero runs. Uh, that's a good opening spell. Yeah. Is Amazing. He, 
birth name monkey? No, it's um like Alfred Benison or something, Hornby. But yeah, people no, called him people called him monkey. And he teased down in the record books as monkey. But Is this- that a racist thing? No, I I, oh, I hope not. I really hope not. It was 1879. Odds are. <laughs> Odds are. Um, but Alec Bannerman, Alex, born in New South Wales in 1854, he made his debut on this day in 1879 against England at the MCG. He joined his older brother, Charles, who was actually already in the team, and he top scored with 73 on his debut. He was also, how's this, the first person to score a test run on English soil. Pretty amazing, right? But, look, I didn't pick Alec because of the scorecard, but because of some of the commentary surrounding his slow batting style over the years. And slow for the time as well. Yeah, slow, right? This bloke (laughs) was a slow scorer. Even that might be giving him a bit too much credit. Like you said, Test cricket was obviously played at a different pace back then, but here are some snippets for you. In 1891, he batted across three days and scored 91. <laughs> at one wow. point, at one point, facing 205 balls and scoring five runs, that puts Raul Driver <laughs> to shame. Ed Cowan <laughs> is a descendant of this man. The Wisden cricketers um, almanac d- dubbed him the most famous of all stone-walling batsmen. His patience was truly inexhaustible. <laughs> he was, um, he was this, um, Alec was nicknamed the Barn Door. And the crowd at a lot of these matches would obviously become quite restless watching him in the middle and not, As you would. and not doing anything. So they put together a cheeky song for him and it goes like this. Oh, Bannerman, oh, Bannerman, we'd wish you'd change your manner, man. We pay our humble tanner, man, to see a bit of fun. You're a beggar, though, to stick it. But it ain't our sort of cricket. They haven't hit your wicket, but you haven't got a run. <laughs> You can tell that you toured public schools across the country for a year. That was that was perfect, perfect poetry performance there, Crumb. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Look, did this bloke invent, reinvent the wheel? No. Did he have an illustrious career? No. <laughs> but, but did he piss off a lot of Brits? Yes. yes. And that is why we are here. So, so for that alone and that alone, old Bannerman, thank you. Happy debut day to you. Congratulations to Alec Bannerman there. I'm sure he is up or downstairs in whichever afterlife you believe in, feeling quite touched about this reference. Uh, Mate, I've got a little present for you. It is the holiday season after all. I said in a previous episode that we don't have an appropriate nickname for you because, like, let's be fair, your nickname and my nickname is just our last names. Correct. I am Spinks, you are Crump. Correct. That's not good enough. Oh, where's this going? So, our <laughs> one-hit wonder of a two-for-none co-host, Joe, who <laughs> messaged me after the last episode and went, I'm quite happy being a one-hit wonder, so don't feel bad. <laughs> he, he has a subscription to ChatGPT, oh. which he utilises every now and then. Yeah. And so, he, he, he answered the call. Alex, of, you know I hate new technology. Don't, yes, I, don't make my nickname, don't blend this new discovery with new technology. Tough. <laughs> so, <laughs> he, I'm just going to throw, throw out uh, the prompts and the responses from our artificial <laughs> technology. I also uh, gave him a lot of 
details about you as a person, like what you do for work, mm-hmm. uh, where I met you, your full name, and the year you were born. So you're probably going to get doxxed by AI really, really soon. Wait, wait, whoa, 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 stop, stop, sorry. You actually gave them my information? ChatGPT has it, yeah. They're going to kill people. And you're going to be top of the list. Did you, did, wait, did you tell them that I liked AI or didn't like AI? I left that neutral. Oh, I need them to know. I'll secretly hate them, but I need them to know that I like them. You know that they have voice recognition technology too. So oh you having said oh that, God. when Skynet comes up, you were the first to go. This hole cannot get any deeper and I've got dumps surrounded by shovels. So what he put in to start with was just nicknames for Oliver Crump. ChatGPT comes back with, certainly. Here are some variations of Ollie, Ollie, OC, Liv, or simply O. Just so far, just, so boring. Just call me O. End the segment and call me O. The next prompt was make it related to cricket. So we have cricket crump <laughs> or Ollie Wicket, which is the most creative so far. Ollie Wicket. Ollie Wicket. <laughs> I like that. Next prompt is to also make it related to podcasts. So we have podcast picture Oliver. <laughs> or yes. This is you from your rapping days when I know you used to be part of a little group of the Little Eggs Collective, or at least friends with them, and you'd go to open mic rap nights. You could be Mike Master Ollie. <laughs> oh, God. Or Crumpcast Oliver, or Crump Chronicles, well, which Crump- I think will be your autobiography. Crumpcast. I like Crumpcast. That's, that's pretty good. It's like my own streaming service. <laughs> Oh, that is called OnlyFans, and I do not <laughs> want a subscription. Anyway, so then I gave him more details about who you are, about uh, what you do for work, uh, the nature of it, y- your full name, your date of birth. Oh, uh, <laughs> so it comes out with 10. I'm just going to rapid fire these. We've got the Bushball Bard, the Wicked Woodsman, Green Willow George, the Actor Pitcher, because we met during drama school. Uh, also, where you went to school, so Blue Mountain Batter. Why, why did you give them all this? Crickets and Canopy, which could be a business name if Thicket goes under. <laughs> the Gumleaf Gambler, Podcast Punter Ollie, Roots and Runs, which I think is just a couple of verbs. I, I like that. And the Aussie Willow Whisperer. <laughs> and then, what, what again. The what was it, Gumleaf Gambler? The Gumleaf Gambler. I mentioned no no gambling involved, but I, it, I it like took it. sport. <laughs> and then he said, give me 50. So I'm just going to throw all of these out here. No quality control. These are oh, all the options God. for your nickname. We have to pick one by the end of the pod. Okay. How about this? Can, back I, can, I, can I pick a number before you say it? Yeah. What, between one and 50. 24. You're not going to like it. <laughs> all right. <laughs> so... <laughs> One to 50 is Outback Overthrow, the Eucalyptus Yorker, which isn't bad. Podcast Plantation, sounds awful. Gumtree Gully Crumper, Kangaroo Cricketeer, Aussie Willow Wordsmith, <laughs> Theatrical Tonka, Kookaburra Conversations, Green- Greensward George, Didgeridoo Deliveries, which <laughs> the podcast Playwright, Ollie Aussie Allrounder, Mountain Actor Match Winner, Crickets and whatever that is, Boomerang Boundaries, Podcast Pantomime, Theatrically Talented Tweaker, Tree Tapping Trundler, Blue Mountains Boundary Hitter, Corker in the Bush, Podcast Platypus, Corker in the Bush, Thespian Thunderbolt, Cricketing Crusader, this is number 24, The Eco Willow Whiz. Oh, oh no, retake. 
Aussie actor, aces, mountain podcaster, Ollie outfielder, gully greenery guru, cinema stumper, podcast puck, bushy boundary bobber, drama down under deliverer, greenskeeper George, cane toad crumper, willow whisperer again, actors armball, kangaroo kickers, podcast plantation player, blue mountains batsman, and the eucalyptus entertainer. <laughs> I, I hate all of them. What was actually, what was number two? Uh, oh, it's taking me back. The eucalyptus yorker. Yeah, That's I'll not take bad. it. I'll take it. All right. I'm going to throw <laughs> that in. eucalyptus yorker. <laughs> <laughs> in, in all future episodes, it is Oliver the Crump, the eucalyptus yorker. That is definitely Australia's version of Jack the Ripper. <laughs> I, look, the only saving grace in, in this is that I, I have a sneaking suspicion that this may be my last episode. So, <laughs> so hopefully this um this name is a once out and once done kind of scenario. I'll put it on your tombstone. <laughs> so big thank you to Joe, look at the size of those cocks, and to our AI overlords, ChatGPT, for finally getting a nickname for the Eucalyptus Yorker. <laughs> I won't say thank you, but good segment, Alex. <laughs> I'm so pleased for that. (laughs) All right, mate, before we move on to our sayonaras and our wrap of the 100th episode, do you have anything that you want to bring to this obviously very serious podcast about cricket? Yeah, well... I thought um, off the off the the back of last week's successful quiz, I thought I might oh, great uh, success. I might I might just re- turn up the dial a couple of notches, increase the uh, the difficulty of a, a few more questions, and and pull you to the sword again. I don't like this at all because of those three questions that you asked, I knew one of them for sure. One of them had a guess, and three just because I know Glenn McGrath can't bat for shit. <laughs> Well, you mightn't do too well on these three then. <laughs> oh, goody. The font of knowledge is going to fracture before your very ears. And look, as you alluded to in those um, those chat GPT nicknames, uh, I don't know where the, the gambler came in because I, I'm not a, a gambling man or, or much Shane of a gambler. Shane Mark War. But, um, but I did want to put sort of some stakes to this. And I thought if you were to get none out of three, I think it would be maybe appropriate that you give me your KO login. I believe KO is still <laughs> is still at the stage where you can only stream on one TV. We can make maybe a week. We'll just make my computer the primary for one week. I think the best time to do that would be June, where you don't watch Australian rugby league or AFL, and that is the break between Premier League seasons, and there's not a lot of cricket on. So. I'll do it. For what, if it's date-specific? One week in June. Because <laughs> right. to be honest, it's my dad's account. So. <laughs> okay, fine. And look, if you get three out of three, I haven't actually um, thought about what I have that you want. So- Probably an empty bottle of wine with my name on it from the last episode. Because <laughs> if it's not empty, it should be. That'll be vinegar by now. <laughs> All right, fine. I'll get you a new one. <laughs> yeah, good. Give me two. <laughs> first, first question. Dirk Nannitz made his Australian debut in 2009 in a T20 match, but he actually made his international debut two months earlier at the ICC World T20. Who did he play for? Ooh. It's a European nation, a cricketing nation, but not a very good one. See, two minds. I I think I know the answer now that you said that the team is crap. <laughs> Because Dirk Nannis, that is that is a Dutch-sounding name. 
So it was either going to be South Africa, but because you said they're terrible, I'm going to go for the uh, cricket playing nation <laughs> that shares, uh, shall we say, some linguistic similarities and say that he played for the Netherlands. Correct. Yes. Daddy, your KO accounts are getting <laughs> sold in June. Be proud of me. <laughs> Number two, on the 11th of the 11th, November 2011, at 11.11am, 11 11 South Africa required how many runs to win against Australia? Now, have you done me? That's Remembrance Day. That's So, if this has no, if the answer <laughs> if has if no ones in it. Yeah. I have held a knife to your back and said, turn back, turn around. <laughs> If it has no ones in it or not an 11, I'm going to hate you till the end of time and say, did they require 11 runs? I it's don't 111, think I can give it to it's, it's 111. It's 111. Oh! <laughs> you bitch. <laughs> well, look, I think it means that the both prizes are off the table. Now you're just playing for pride for this last one. Okay. I've lost and, all of that. And this, I don't think you'll get it, but this I found just quite unusual and funny. South African batter Jimmy Sinclair holds the record for the longest ever six at 894 kilometres. <laughs> now, what? <laughs> now, obviously, he didn't hit this far. This is the distance from when it left his bat to where it came to a stop and was then recovered. <laughs> How? Tell me how it travelled 894 kilometres. Okay, uh, I'm going to use Who was the batter again? Jimmy Sinclair. They were Nationality? South African, playing at the old Wanderers Stadium in Johannesburg. Did he hit it into a river? Did it go down a mountain? Was he playing oh. on the International Space Station? No, they're all they're all amazing guesses. Bar the space station, but a river is a great guess. Unfortunately, it's it's not correct. He was batting at the old Wanderer Stadium in Johannesburg and hit it into a loaded train bound <laughs> bound for Port Elizabeth. <laughs> the train was on the move. The ball was recovered at Port Elizabeth, eight hundred and ninety-four <laughs> kilometers away, and then brought back to the Wanderers Clubhouse, where it was put on display. <laughs> oh, how the was I supposed to know that? Yeah. I, I just read it. I was like, I got to weave this in somehow. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little fun fact for the day. Yeah, I was I was going to try and weave it into um to either you know Pakistani fielding or Pat Cummins or something, but I went and quiz <laughs> quiz would make the most sense. Right. Well, thank you for that quiz. Pleasure, pleasure. Uh, the eucalyptus Yorker with his second round of quizzing there. All righty, Crump. We oh sorry, eucalyptus Yorker. <laughs> we have. Oh, come, I hate it. We've come to the end of this one, Matt. Uh, I'm just going to round us out here. We've got a couple of tapes from a couple of the correspondents just celebrating the big one double O four two for none. Tom K. Hawkey has got a tape in. He was on the debut episode of Two for None. Mm. And his sound quality has remained consistently good from the very beginning. Much different compared to our original hosts <laughs> who were recording a podcast underwater. So I've got a tape from Hawkey. I've got a tape from Chris Goodrick here, he labelled his email, our South African correspondent labelled the email with the name of a particular South African bowler that I tried to pronounce his name 
uh, during the World Cup and failed miserably. The spelling of this bowler is C-O-E-T-Z-E-E, and I'm pretty sure I said Kutsi. Kutsi. I, I is believe it Kutsi? It's not. I think it's Kutsia. 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 So that's the name of the subject line. So I'm expecting a little bit of ribbing from Goodrick. And then we, to round this out after that, we have Chris Barty doing a nice little trip down memory lane, a little bit of a, a listful look back on the last six and a bit years. So I'm going to play these tapes back to back. And then after that, we'll say our little goodbyes. How's that? Sounds like a plan. Let's hear them. Hi there. Tom K. Hawkey here with a congratulations from a Brit. Back in 2017, Pat asked if I could record some thoughts on the upcoming Ashes series for his new podcast. Uh, Please, for the love of God, don't go back and listen to any of those episodes. Little did I know that just five years later, he'd still be asking for more bloody tapes. Still, I thought I might reflect on the impact that this podcast has had on that rivalry between England and Australia. I've crunched the numbers for all competitive matches between England and Australia. That's all tests, ODIs and T20s involving both the men's and women's teams. In the 2,222 days leading up to the release of episode 1, Australia outbatted England by an average of 21 runs per innings. In the 2,222 days since the release of episode 1, Australia outbatted England by an average of 49 runs per innings, which is more than twice as much. So, from an England perspective, I just have to say this. Can we please stop making this fucking podcast? It's killing us! Nah, not really. I bloody love this show. Here's to turning this century into a daddy hundred. Congrats to Pat, Chris, and all two for none contributors, past and present. Yes, 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 boys. The big 100. Congratulations, two for one team. What a series. What, what, what a year it's been. What a series. What a, you know, this has just been fantastic. These pods are just rolling in on. It's so good to be part of it. This year, I was hopeful that I would see the Pat Cullen eat the humble pie. Unfortunately, that didn't happen, but I'm confident that uh, with all the cricket we got coming up, there's going to be a few more humble pies. Bardo, on behalf of the listeners, I want to thank you for the brilliant, inspiring cricket birthday rap that you've brought in so uh, unanimously um, through the pods. What a great addition that's been. And on that note, let's, uh, let's pay happy birthday to Jacoby Robinson, who was born on December 31st, 1984 in Bermuda. Happy birthday, Jacoby, and let's just say we're a fan of your triangle. So, guys, I just want to say it's been really enjoyed uh, being part of the pods. Um, I can't even, I think I've been involved uh, since 2018 or 2019, bringing you everything South Africa. And let's just remember that the next World Cup is in South Africa. If any of you are thinking of going, please, guys, do check the visa requirements. You know, you don't want to just turn up there and not have a visa and be denied entry. That wouldn't be so so good. So, ch- so just check them. It's always good to check the um, what are the requirements in terms of getting into a country. It's very important, I guess. 
And one day, guys, it is my hope that uh, we will sit all sit around a table, possibly in the small island nation of New Zealand, around a big lamb and mint pie and uh, talk all things cricket. We'll have a big party. We'll invite Adam Zamp around, get the glass barbecue out, empty loads of chicken salt onto the table and just have a good old fashioned party. It'd be great if we could get Travis Head and Mitchell Johnson and uh, David Warner out there as well. They could settle their differences and uh, just be one good old bloody, you know, blow up. It's been bloody good, guys. It's been bloody great. Looking forward to to the podcast. And I know Sphinx is going to um, really, really do a good one here. And just with the pronunciation, Sphinxie, it's Kutsia. Kutsia, not Kutsia. But I know you're working on that South African accent and it's coming along well. All right, guys, we'll see you later. So 100 episodes uh, of Two for None. What an amazing thing. It simply is the podcast that wouldn't die, uh, despite my best wishes <laughs> at times. Uh, I think what we need to do to, to really celebrate it is to go back to the beginning and, and go back to the, uh, kind of the origin of it and the intent. And look, initially, it was just a harebrained idea that, uh, Pat and I needed to be uh, two guys that joined the Virgin podcast market and somehow we'd make it big uh, talking about this obscure sport, uh, which already had a glut of other podcasts. Uh, one thing that people may not know uh, about me is that I really um, don't like listening to my own stuff. And even though I can be a public speaker and I can speak in public quite com- comfortably, um, one of the ways that I get through it is just pretending like no one's listening. And and that's really where the origin for the name Two for None came from. Uh, it was two guys um, talking to each other about you know, a game that they loved, a hobby that they've enjoyed you know, their, their entire lives um, for no one in particular, talking for no one in particular. Um, and um, one of the ways that we, we kind of realised we could get through failure was just to assume that no one would listen. Uh, and that would be a bonus that if anyone did. So that's where the, kind of the two for none name came from. I think what has really surprised me over the duration is that two for none is really no longer a fitting name for the podcast. Uh, you know, over the journey, we've made so many new friends and, and reconnected with so many people. Uh, you know, Jai Singh is someone I've known since I was seven years old and, um, you know, hadn't really kept touch with, not because he's not a terrific fellow, but um, just sometimes that's the way life goes. But as soon as we needed an Indian cricket correspondent, there was only one name I was going to call, and it was great to catch up with Jai a few years ago at my engagement party, and that was that was awesome, and it's a great opportunity to, to have that connection to my past and, and now to my present as well. So that's been great. I think also one of the things that's that's been really enjoyable has been the, the new friendships we've made along the way. You know, to get an email from a, a young uh, Pakistani English gentleman by the name of Adam Hassan out of the blue. One was completely shocking because it meant that someone out there was listening to what we were doing uh, and actually enjoyed it, which to me was unfathomable. I think he's probably listened to more episodes than I have, which is a tremendous achievement in, self, in itself. But, um, you know, Adam's uh, wisdom and, and humour and, and insight um, really belies his age and, and, and goes beyond his years and is something that um, I think has touched all of us that have been part of the part of the podcast um, and hopefully we'll get to shake hands in, in person one day because I think, you know, he seems like a lovely fella. Michael Wood, 
um, is another one. You know, his musical talents um, are absolutely superb. Uh, you know, many, many great uh, songs and limericks and lyrics and melodies. And, you know, the man just has a talent um, that is, uh, well, far beyond my grasp, at least, anyway. Uh, and to witness him uh, seeing Elton John uh, at Pat's Bucks uh, was, uh, was a particular highlight. And uh, just a really interesting, odd connection that we would have made without this podcast. So I really appreciate that most of all. I think to you fellas in the studio, though, one thing I would say is that over the last five, six years, however long we've been doing this thing, you know, this is this podcast has really been an opportunity for Pat and myself to, to reconnect and, and to come together um, every couple of weeks, um, a bit like two batsmen bumping gloves uh, in between overs and to catch up with each other and see how we're going. You know, we've been um, fast friends um, for a long time, and um, sometimes, you know, those friendships can, can fade with time and distance. But, you know, this podcast has really provided us, up, uh, us an opportunity to, to come together, and, and it's probably as much the, the parts that um, you don't get on, on camera, you don't get on, on the microphone that have um, meant the most. It's the conversations that we have about how we're going and, and all those sorts of things that um, have really meant the most, I think, for me. You know, Pat sort of approached me about about doing this seriously when he said he wanted to start up Ginger Snap Productions, his, his productions company, and needed uh, someone to practice making podcasts with and, and get his, all his mistakes out on. Um, so, you know, really happy to, to do that and I'm really pleased to be part of that process. And um, you know, for Pat to lose his, awkwardly lose his podcast virginity on me or with me um, has been, um, you know, a wonderful thing. And he is an immensely patient man. There's been more than one occasion where my lack of um, theatre skill and theatre talent, um, you know, audio visual talent has, has come um, to the fore and been a real problem. Uh, you know, I, I don't prepare for the shows. <laughs> I mean, I prepare by watching watching the games and reading articles and doing things I would do normally anyway, reading cricket diaries and all, all that sort of thing. Um, but I don't really do any preparation. I turn up. Um, he tells me when to um, hit record. He tells me when to stop hit, you stop recording. Um, he's patient when I've accidentally forgotten to hit record, <laughs> even though he's told me, and we have to record the entire episode again, which has happened more than once. Um, he's been patient with me when I've had a couple of beers and I've been knocking around the bottle caps in my pocket and that's ruined the audio. He's just been an immensely patient man and it's uh, really nice for me to see Ginger Snap doing so well and him getting some reward for, for everything that he's put into this particular podcast. And I think for you gentlemen in the, in the studio, you know, I hope that this, now that you've taken the, taken the reins, so to speak, I hope that it provides you with that same opportunity to... So keep your friendship and your partnership intact and give you the opportunity to check in in between overs and just make sure that the other person's going okay um, because it uh, it means a lot and, and goes a long way. Anyway, um, all the best and uh, here's to another 100 episodes. Raise the back. And there we have it. Some wonderful little uh, tidbits from TK Hawkey there from Kiss Chris Goodrick. Thank you for the lesson in Afrikaans pronunciations of South African surnames. He also called me sphinx which i find quite upsetting because he, I, I might not be able to pronounce a south african surname but he is unable to pronounce english surname <laughs> and the fact that he did both in the one breath is quite upsetting and then some wonderful words from barty there about how this podcast for 
him and Pat then maintain a friendship, rekindled his friendship with Jai Singh, created a friendship with Adam Hassan, who got in contact with the pod and wanted to join. That was beautiful to hear. And I actually did not know that. I thought Adam Hassan was just part of that West Australian crew, which dominates this podcast. But that was quite lovely. And message to us, Ollie, that this this podcast will help us deepen our friendship. Because as I told you earlier today, that I'm pretty sure the only things I've talked to you to you about in the last month have been this podcast. Yeah. So it keeps us connected. <laughs> well, mate, that is us for the big one double O of two for none. We have the Sydney tests will have started by the time this podcast episode is out. I will be over in hopefully not on fire Western Australia to celebrate Pat's wedding to his lovely fiance, Polly. I'll be catching up with Barty. I'll be catching up with Pat. We might have a little cheeky recording from the reception of the wedding much to i'm sure everyone's great joy <laughs> and mate i'm pretty sure you will be back for the next episode i will get you back for a wrap-up of the pakistan series and might even have you through the rest of january talking about the west indies pat's oh. on his honeymoon in japan chris Barty's just probably enjoying being able to spend some time with his wife and child i think you and i have a bit more cricket to talk about oh will you now <laughs> I was getting ready. I was getting ready to do a um, thanks so much to the boys for having me. It's been real, but oh, I might have to save it. This isn't your swan song, Matt. You're you're not leaving. I think this is our podcast now. I think this is two for none with Alex, the men, the myth, the legend, Sphinx, and Oliver Crumb. You mean the eucalyptus Yorker? The eucalyptus Yorker and Sphinxy. And Sphinxy, that great Egyptian cat. Mate, thank you for joining me on this. Everyone listening, I hope you had a wonderful holiday season. I hope the summer in the Southern Hemisphere looks bright for you and the winter doesn't look too crazy. We will have a wrap-up of the third and final Pakistan-Australia test match and the hopefully most of a wrap of the India-Australian women's team and a little look forward to the West Indian tour of Australia coming up. Until then, we'll see you next time. And Ollie, join me if you remember the words... Two for None is created by Patrick Cullen and Chris Barty. This episode presented by Alexander Spinks and Oliver Crump, featuring Adam Hassan, Chris Barty, Chris Goodrick, and Tom K. Hawkey. This episode was produced by Patrick Cullen at Ginger Snap Productions and edited by Mike Wilcox at Midnight Publishing. Featured clips and music this episode included the opening theme for the Wide World of Sports Channel 9. All music used in conjunction with the APRA AMCOS online mini license. Contract APRA.com.au for more details. You can check us out at gingersnapsydney.com. Make sure you like, rate, review, subscribe, tell a friend, share on your socials, and get the word out that Two for None is a bloody great podcast, we swear. We will be back after the next test with a full wrap up of the Pakistan series. And in the meantime, go those Aussies! <laughs>